Good morning, everybody. I th- I'm looking around. I think I know everybody, but I'm Stephanie, in case you don't know me or don't know my voice on the podcast. Um, we're excited that you're all here today. I just want to go through and reintroduce our leadership team again, and forgive me if I don't see where you're sitting, but we have Anne, Allison, I think Liz should be here soon, Malia, there's Malia, right in front of me, and then I'm Stephanie, and then you guys know Tyler, who's teaching. Uh, Just a reminder, we do have the podcast available, you can access it either just on our website, or if you go to Apple Podcasts, or any of the podcast one, and search Redemption Church Arcadia, they'll be on there, just look for the, the titles the Jesus and the women he loved. And then we have this sign up here for snacks. And also if you're interested in helping with the studies in the future, either planning them or teaching for them, I'm just going to pass that around and you can sign up if you're interested in that. And with that, let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for bringing us together this morning. We're so grateful for this group of women that we get to spend Thursday mornings with. And Lord, I pray that this morning you would just be, that you would soften our hearts to receive what you have to teach us this morning. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Now, if you would, on your sheets, there is a scripture from Ephesians. And we would just like to read that together to start us off before we sing together. Read with me. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this... Take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And one more thing I forgot. Thank you, Courtney Wiltz, for bringing our snacks and drinks today. We appreciate it. (laughs) Malia? Okay, let's stand um, as we worship this morning. We are actually going to do the second song in the sheet first. So we're going to do How Deep the Father's Love first, and then um, and then we'll go over and do Defender. Um,
introduced Emily. Steph might have just done that. Um, but Emily is a worship intern with us. Hi. So you've probably <laughs> heard her 
spectacular, amazing <laughs> voice on Sundays. Um, but we're super happy to have her helping us lead. She's actually going to lead the next couple of weeks, the music. Um, so I'm really excited that we get to worship with her and enjoy her gift. Um, but let's go ahead and sing Defender.
Steph has her own also. Thank you for being a helper. Also, thanks for leading worship, Malia and Emily. Um, I appreciate so much that last song, especially the the idea that God is our defender. He's the one that uh, fights our battles. He's the one that goes before and behind and and next to us and inside us and all around us. And so thankful for that. He's the lion and the lamb. And we praise him as a result of that. So thanks for leading us in worship. Also, as Steph said, uh, really excited about the ministry leadership team for Women's Bible Study that has formed, and I'm glad that that will continue also on beyond this eight weeks. Um, if you are interested in being a part of that in the next go-around, either in the summer or in the fall, please do let us know, because we'd love to get you signed up for that. And um, 
I am going to be doing the same kind of a thing with the men's Bible study where I'll hang out with them for about eight weeks and we'll get a leadership team going and then we'll uh, release them to do the ministry in the summer and the fall as well. So thanks for your participation and all of you that are here. Um, Malia, thanks to the Lord for the relationships that are in- increasing and developing during this time. And I agree. I think it's, it's good to be together with you and with the Lord. We're going to look today at uh, the interactions that Jesus has with Mary Magdalene. And Mary is such a fascinating uh, person in the New Testament gospel accounts uh, with the way that God has turned her life around and then how she gives her life to Jesus as a result. And it's, it, she's, she's an interesting character because her, her sort of um, folklore and her story has taken off beyond what is actually there in the scripture. And part of that is because there are limited accounts of where she actually shows up. She's mentioned by name in uh, Luke chapter 8 and then at the cross and at the resurrection. And so we're going to look at all those things. Um, but... Likely, as we'll see in Luke chapter 8, likely Mary Magdalene was with Jesus for much of his ministry throughout, even though she's not mentioned by name uh, other than those few places. And so part of what has happened is that people have taken that and either we have limited or discredited much of what she did, uh, or we've gone to another extreme where we've turned her into this mythical being that, <laughs> that uh, was somehow um, romantically involved with Jesus, which is not the case. Um, and so what we want to do today is actually look at a few of the, the passages that mention her by name and try to see what is the Bible actually saying about Mary Magdalene. So if you would, uh, we have lots of scripture to get to. If you'll look at Luke chapter 8 starting, and uh, we're going to go rather quickly through this just because we have limited time, and then hopefully you'll be able to discuss more about these at your tables uh, later on. But Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 1. Soon afterward, now remember we have to, anytime we see soon afterward or just after this or immediately following, we should think about what just happened. And soon after this uh, is referring to what happened at the end of Luke chapter 7, which we covered last week. So that's a good thing, where uh, there was the the anointing of of Jesus' feet um, by the woman. And uh, that passage is also covered in John, in the book of John. After this incredible experience that Jesus has had, and you remember Allison teaching on this last week, about the connection between repentance and peace, the idea that if we come to the Lord broken as we are, that he is able to turn our lives around. We then get this picture in Luke chapter 8 of not only Mary Magdalene, but several other women that have uh, had a similar experience with Jesus, where he's turned their lives around. And as a result, they've given their lives to him and to his cause. So soon after this, he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. Uh, So he's doing a little tour uh, of some cities, some nearby cities, and he's proclaiming the good news. Now, do you remember what the good news is that Jesus is preaching? He is preaching that the kingdom of God is at hand, and he's, and he's preaching that we must uh, confess and repent uh, and turn from, our, from our, our wicked ways. This is, the, this is the good news. Sometimes when we think of the good news, we don't really think of confess and repent and turn from our, our wicked ways. But the good news that Jesus has is that the kingdom of God is available to all people. 
uh, all, all types of people, all people from any background, from any uh, upbringing, from any city or village that you're coming to, uh, any kind of person can come to Christ. Now we know that all people will not come to Christ. But he's preaching the good news that the kingdom of God is available and at hand, that he has with his birth and his life and his ministry and eventually his death and his resurrection, he has brought the kingdom of God to earth in a way that was not formerly the, formerly the case. And that is good news. By his death and his resurrection, he'll make atonement for sin and bring new life to all who believe. This is incredible news that Jesus has to preach. Of course, many people didn't understand that that's what he was doing. Uh, but Jesus is going around to, from city to city with this good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve are with him. So we've got the disciples in tow on this tour. And also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. So going around with Jesus from town to town are not only the disciples, but these women. And this is important because as we go through the ministry of Christ... In other passages beyond this, oftentimes we'll hear the disciples, the disciples, the disciples. We won't always hear the women mentioned here, but you can imply from this passage and what we see at the cross and the resurrection that many of the women were with Jesus during this time as well. That is groundbreaking for this time period. And you might even say groundbreaking for today as well, that Jesus was elevating um, the ministry of these women as they elevated him, right? This is the idea of humble yourself before the Lord, he will lift you up. These women and these men that were following Jesus had humbled themselves before God. And Jesus is actually lifting up these people as the ministry goes along. And I love that concept that we don't lift ourselves up, but <laughs> we were joking earlier that uh, Emily oftentimes uh, is <laughs> accidentally sings, I picked up all my pieces and I put them back together. Emily was like, yeah, we pick ourselves up by our bootstraps and we just go along. Of course, the lyric is, he picked up all my pieces and he put me back together. One of the beautiful things about these encounters that Jesus is having with women in the Gospels is that he is picking up the pieces of our lives and he's putting us back together and he's lifting us up um, so that we might lift him up in our lives. And I'm thankful for that. So the women are traveling with Jesus from town to town. Now this gets even better. Mary, uh, oh, one note on this as well, and Steph's going to talk a little bit more about this during our application time. But the women that are following Jesus here are women that have been healed from infirmities and from diseases, uh, various infirmities and diseases, and evil spirits. So, in other words, there are different kinds of illnesses that we can have in our lives. We, and we've talked a little bit about the connection between the physical and the spiritual already. Uh, but there are physical illnesses and there are spiritual illnesses. Uh, there are mental illnesses. Um, there, are, there are emotional illnesses. Uh, there are a number of different kinds of illnesses that we can have. And this is indicating that there is some connection between the spiritual battle that we face and some of these more physical or mental or emotional illnesses that we might face as well. But Jesus is healing the women from these evil spirits and infirmities. And Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. Now, this is important because this is the only real uh, backstory 
we get about Mary Magdalene. Some people think that she's the same woman in Luke, Luke chapter 7, but I don't think that that's accurate. Otherwise, she, she would have been named as Magdalene in, in, in chapter 7. The reason she's called Magdalene is that there's this actually, uh, this, is, this, is, this is giving us background about where, she, where she's from and, what she, and who she is and, what, and where she's coming from. Uh, sort of like saying that Jesus was from Nazareth. Uh, we get Mary Magdalene. So the reason that um, I think that this is instead the only real background we get about Mary Magdalene is because she would have been named Magdalene in Luke chapter 7 if that was her. Instead, we get that Mary Magdalene, uh, from whom seven demons had gone out. So she's got seven, she had seven demons. Uh, one of the things that Steph and I were talking about, about this as well is that it, demon-possessed people aren't very friendly to be around. And so likely as a result of her having had seven demons, she was probably on the outcast of society, probably had been rejected by friends and family, probably somebody that wouldn't have had much community or much um, sort of career tra- trajectory or, or what she's going to be doing with her life. And Jesus meets her as someone who has been possessed by seven demons. One demon is enough, right? But seven is, is uh, in, in the Bible, oftentimes the seven is the number of completion. That means, that means she's fully possessed um, by evil, by the ones who are the enemies of Christ. And yet, and we don't get the, this, this, this narrative but, but, uh, told to us in detail, but Christ has send the, sent these demons out of her life. In other words, someone who has been fully devoted to evil is now able to be fully devoted to good. Someone who has been fully dead is now devoted fully to the life in Christ. And what a wonderful turnaround story that is. We'll talk a little bit more about that later. And Joanna, the wife of Cusa, Herod's household manager. So Herod, King Herod, if you remember, uh, would have been uh, actually a... Uh, this This actually is, a, is a, another Herod, I believe, at this point, but I'll check on that. Um, Herod, Herod, though, was, was a prominent figure at this time who who had um, a wealthy household. And so Joanna was, if she was managing the household, would have had access to a lot of resources, uh, a lot of resources that she was able to contribute. Um, and Susanna and many others who provided them, who provided for them out of their means. In other words, this group of women is paying for Jesus's ministry, which is phenomenal. Just phenomenal. Remember, the disciples have left their jobs. They're not catching fish anymore. They're catching, they're being now fisher of men, uh, fishers of men. The disciples are not making their income any longer. And this group of women is financing the ministry, not only of Jesus, but of the disciples. Wow. Groundbreaking for this time period especially. But you could, you could even say that in today's society, there, this is something that's different than our cultural norm. Oftentimes, I love this picture of, of what a friend of mine would call gospel patrons. That there are people who have means that are able to finance ministry. And uh, a friend of mine, his name is John Reinhardt, he talks about how throughout history, any great move of God has been accompanied by the people who have said, Here are the means, go make it happen. And you can look back and trace that throughout history, how great moves of God have been financed by people who, who maybe weren't called to the ministry aspect, but had the means to make the ministry happen. 
And here, this is what's happening with, with the women, including, including Mary Magdalene. And, and this is a fantastic uh, sort of change of pace from what we would have seen prior to this. So that's all we get in Luke chapter 8 about Mary Magdalene. Uh, but it's a fantastic, fantastic recognition that God had turned her life around, that she and some other women are financing this ministry of Jesus, and that they're likely with him on all the stops that now they're making throughout the cities and the villages. Pretty cool. Next time that we see them is actually at the, at the cross. Next time that she is mentioned by name is at the cross. So turn now to Matthew 27. In your outline I've said Matthew 28 because that's the resurrection. But I just want to point out Matthew 27 to you quickly. Matthew 27, and if you look at verse 55, uh, Jesus is, is crucified, and uh, Jesus, the, temple is, uh, the curtain in the temple is torn uh, in two, and in verse 55, there were also many women there looking on from a distance, who had followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. Uh, this has commonly been called three Marys at the cross. And uh, two things to note here is that in, in the last moments of Jesus' life, when it is told that the disciples have scattered, uh, Mary Magdalene and two other Marys are still there with Jesus, which is just beautiful. That their lives have been so changed by him and they're so convinced of who Jesus is and what he came to do that even at this last moment they're there. And there are times in our lives, I think, that when all, when all others will walk away, there have to be times where we say, well, we're going to stick with Christ. In the midst of others turning and saying, he's, he's no longer my Lord, he's no longer uh, what I thought he was. Uh, clearly in this moment of his death, there were questions about had he come to, had he accomplished what he set out to do? Especially those who thought he was going to be the political leader that, that they wanted him to be. There will be moments where we'll have to say, despite all of this, and despite the circumstances, we're going to stick with Christ. And I'm thankful that the women did that. One other thing to, to note here is that that phrase says ministering to him. In other words, not only were they ministering uh, with Jesus during this whole time, but they were all ministering to Jesus. Um, that's not something that maybe we think about as much, that, that Jesus needed as a, as a man to be ministered to also. Uh, he clearly ministered to people, but there were people around him that were ministering to him, which I think is a beautiful thing as well. And there are times when, when we worship the Lord that we are doing something similar to this, that we are ministering to God in a way that is a beautiful thing. Not that he needs us. Okay, so they're, they're gathered at the, at the cross. And then let me, let me just skip ahead then to Matthew 28, verse 1 to 2. 
Not sure what that is. Fire alarm? Yeah. Thanks for checking it out. God's word is on fire. (laughs) Matthew 28. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the woman, uh, to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. Therefore you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took a hold of his feet and worshipped him. And then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and they will see me there. Just a couple things to note here is that uh, inherent in the passage here in the mentioning of Mary Magdalene and the women that are with Jesus at his death and at his resurrection is acknowledgement that Jesus' death and resurrection are for, again, all people, all kinds of people, men and women. And the fact that the disciples or the gospel accounts mention that the women attest to the resurrection of Christ first uh, actually is, lends credibility to the resurrection itself. Uh, because in that time period, uh, if, if you were to want to uh, lend credibility to something that was happening when the Bible talks about two or three witnesses, typically they would have been talking about men. Men being witnessing to the resurrection of Christ. Uh, that, that the gospel accounts note that women were attesting to the, gospel, to the resurrection of Christ lends credibility to it. Because if you're making up this story, you wouldn't have had the women be the one that testified to it. And instead, here the women are testifying to the resurrection of Christ, acknowledging its truth. And you'll see many of the disciples are like, this can't be true. This can't be true. Until they run and see it for themselves. We, we oftentimes give doubting Thomas... Uh, a hard time, but but the disciples, you know, Peter and John run to the tomb to, to see it themselves. And I, don't, and I don't blame them for that. I would want to see it with my own eyes as well. So, she's there at the crucifixion, she's there at the resurrection, acknowledging that this, this ministry of Christ of, and the death and resurrection, the new life that he offers, is to all people, men and women, uh, people from every background, every type of person that is available and, be, and will believe in Christ. Mark 15, if you'll turn to Mark 15. And again, we're going quickly. You can go back, by the way, if you've got time, a uh, good idea to go back and take a look at these in, more in depth because each of, these, each of these scriptures gives a little bit more of a, a picture of what was happening. Uh, it's sort of like having four different photographers at the same event, right? Uh, typically, uh, Liz for a long time did wedding photography and, and one time I went with her and I was her third shooter. And uh, it was awesome because I got to now put on my resume that I'm a wedding photographer. Um, But what it really meant was that I was going to stand in one place where the other two photographers weren't going to stand because they wanted to make sure that I might be able to get this extra angle. Or Or if one of the photographers missed a specific thing, that maybe the second or the third one would get it. So now I put on my resume third shooter at, at wedding at, for wedding photography. If anybody out there needs a wedding photographer, um, I, I'm available. More importantly, Liz might be available. Um, 
yeah, so, so the gospel accounts are sort of like that, sort of like four different photographers at a, at a wedding catching different angles. It, it's the same event, and the same things happen, but they're giving different perspectives of what's going on in, in, in the gospel accounts. So in, in 15, and I'll just mention this again quickly in, in, chapter, in uh, verse 40, there were also women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene, and Mary the mother of James the younger, and of Joseph and, uh, and Salome. Uh, when he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him, and there were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. Uh, so again, we get the indication here. Uh, Salome is mentioned here, but wasn't mentioned in the last, in the last uh, passage. Again, different photographer perspectives. It's not that they're contrasting with one another, but we're seeing different angles of the wedding, or in this case, of the death of Christ. Uh, so these were women that had followed him, and again, it says here, ministered to him. And I love that, that, that idea that, again, we don't think very much so about ministering to God, but there were people who were doing this in the ministry of Christ. Now at the resurrection in chapter 16, when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices, spices so they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, don't be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him, but go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Uh, and then it says, some of the earliest manuscripts do not include uh, chapter 16, verses 9 through 20. Interestingly enough, um, next Sunday, not this Sunday, but next Sunday, Pastor Frank's going to preach on John chapter 8 and the woman caught in adultery. That also is a section of scripture that says the earliest manuscripts do not include this. Well, uh, Frank and the other pastors at Redemption have, have decided to preach on it because they believe that there are historical records of this being an accurate story that took place. In other words, they believe that though the earliest manuscripts didn't have that section of scripture about the woman caught in adultery in John chapter 8, there are enough historical records saying that this event happened and the fact that it was included early on was enough to let the, the, the uh, scholars know that this was, in fact, a true Jesus story. Also, it's connected with other scriptures in a way that doesn't contradict the rest of the Bible. Uh, we know that God is a merciful God. So anyway, you're going to hear Frank talk about that next, next Sunday. There's a similar thing happening here, that though the earliest manuscripts don't have verses 9 through 20, uh, we know that this uh, Jesus appearing to Mary Magdalene happened because it's recorded in John, in John chapter 20. And we'll get there in a minute. So we can, we can know that this is true, though the earliest manuscripts don't have it, in part because John 20 also records that this happened. Does that make sense? Okay. So now when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. Again, that's consistent with what we know from what we read before. She went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. Uh, but when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they would not believe it. If you've ever felt like your message falls on deaf ears, 
have comfort. This also happened to Mary Magdalene and many others throughout Scripture. Jesus has risen, and they would not believe it. Okay, turn now to Luke 24, 1 through 11. Here, I'm not going to give you the, the image of at the cross and the crucifixion. Uh, it does mention that the women were there wailing loudly, but it does not mention Mary Magdalene by name. I'll just say in chapter 23, it says, they're wailing loudly. Um, in other words, they were, they were very, very sorrowful at this, at this moment, which you might expect for people who have, who, whose lives have, lives have been changed by Jesus and have followed him around in ministry. To see him dying would have been an atrocious thing to have happen. But in Luke 24, but on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you that while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. So I, I love uh, when the gospel accounts all cover these events, and obviously with the death and the resurrection, they're all going to cover these things. And again, li- that lends credibility to the, the, the story of the resurrection, is because they all covered this. All four wedding photographers caught this. Uh, we know that it happened. With this, the, the women are here again, and Mary Magdalene is there again, and, and they're telling the disciples, and again we see that the disciples didn't believe it, and thought it was an old wives' tale. This, this speaks, this has been happening for, for all, ever, ever since, right? Where, where a, a woman will say to a man, this is what happened, and a man will say, no, 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 that's an old wives' tale. Anybody have experience? I've never done that to anybody at all, ever, but it happens. Uh, part of what is being said here, again, is that uh, the attesting to the truth, the, testif- the testimony of what Jesus is capable of, who he is and what he can do in our lives, can and should come from any person. And rather than to be skeptical of what Jesus is capable of or who he is or what he can do... We ought not to actually just dismiss out of hand the good news of what Jesus is capable of. We don't want to just blindly believe anything, but that's not really what's happening here. If you remember, Jesus had told the disciples that he was going to rise up again. He had said, destroy this temple, and in three days, I'll, I'll, I'll rise it up. On the third day, I'll rise it up. I'll raise it up. And, of course, they had no idea what he was talking about, but here is the fulfillment of God's word... And any time we see the fulfillment of God's word, we ought not to question that it's it's the truth. We don't want to have blind faith, but we also don't want to have a hard heart that is unwilling to to receive the truth of who God is and what he can do. So the women have said to the men, this is what's gone on, the men have said, 
nonsense, and yet they ran to see themselves if it was true. Wait, what if it is true? What if what is she, she is saying is true? I'm going to go see for myself. And then John's going to uh, tell this story about how Peter and John write, run to the tomb to, to get there first. And there's a, there's a, it's like a foot race. They each want to get there the first to see if it's true. Okay, John. John uh, 19. Y'all are doing great flying through these passages. I know there's a lot of scripture today. Never too much word of God, right? Okay, so if we're in uh, John 19, and if you start at 23. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, uh, soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one place from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose, whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture, which says, They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother, and his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, that's John, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to his disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour the disciple took her to, be, to his own home. So again, we have the uh, another perspective of Mary being at the cross, being present uh, for what's for for the death of Jesus, and and we're also given this given this added this added information about John's uh, John and the mother of Jesus that Jesus cares here that he's passing on uh, the relationship and and that his mother would be taken care of. You know, what, what is implied here is also that the relationships that Jesus was having with these other women, that there would be uh, structures in place for them to continue to be taken care of as well. So it, that's not stated here directly. But one of the implications here with John is that, that Jesus is helping John to understand that as he goes, that there's going to be a need for him to be aware of the relational dynamics with the Marys that are there. And I appreciate that as well from Jesus looking to take out, take care of the relationships that he has had up to this point. So in John 20 then, now uh, this, is, this is, I think, maybe the, the coolest insight to how Jesus um, viewed Mary Magdalene and how Mary Magdalene viewed Jesus and the importance of her and the relationship that they had together. Now, in the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early. By the way... It says something about our culture, I think, that Jesus could have this relationship with Mary. And we tend to over-romanticize or over-sexualize that kind of a relationship. And so we, we want to assume that there was some sort of romantic relationship there with Jesus and Mary, in large part because of, of passages like this. But it's, it's contra-biblical. It's not, it's not here in the Bible. Rather, we need to see that Jesus had a relationship with Mary where he loved her that was a pure relationship between a man and a woman that did not cross any kind of moral boundaries at all. And I, I so appreciate this. I've, I've, said, I've said to men before in men's Bible studies that in the church we want to be men who see women in the church as our sisters and our mothers 
and our wives, um, but not as things other than that. And, and it's interesting, some of the reaction that I've had in, in men's Bible studies before that is, is about, I don't know how I could view women like my, every woman like my sister. And I said, well, actually, in a sense, I, I want to view my wife as my sister too. My sister in Christ. Not in, not, not in some sort of twisted way, but as my sister in Christ. Because I'm much more likely to view a person as not an object to be used if I'm viewing that person as family. And, and, and the guys are like, whoa, is this, what, is this what Christ had in mind? And I think passage like, passages like this actually show that that is what Christ has, has in mind. That, that women in the church should actually feel the most safe in the church. And that's not always the case. And my heart breaks about that. Women in, women in the church should actually always feel most safe in the marriage relationship. And that's not always the case. And my heart breaks for that. But part of how that, I think, can happen is if we're, viewing, if we're viewing each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. The way that the Lord intended for us to be, to be viewed as family together. Are you buying it? Maybe you're an easier sell than the men's group. I think it's a concept that we don't often think about, but this relationship that Jesus has with Mary is a very good example of how a man and a woman might relate in a way that is a love relationship, but that is not twisted and tainted by the ways that often our culture would do it. Does that make sense? So Mary, so Mary is going to meet Jesus here at the tomb. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping, stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went to the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place um, by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first, again, John wants you to know that, uh, that he got there first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as they yet did not understand the scriptures, that he must rise from the dead, then the disciples went back to their homes. There's a lot there that you, we can study another time, or you can look for, deeper into another time. Uh, but, but this word that Mary had given them about the resurrection of Jesus, now the disciples have gone, and they did need to see it for themselves, and now they've seen it for themselves, and now they believe. Again, let's not give John, uh, Thomas such a hard time that other disciples had already done this. I, I won't believe until I see. Uh, now... In chapter uh, in verse eleven, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. We know from the other gospel accounts um, uh, that that the women had gone on to talk to the disciples about this. John and Peter have run back. Mary's still hanging out here. Uh, there's sort of a lingering that that she's unwilling to go somewhere else. It reminds me of when when uh, Jesus looks at his disciples earlier in the gospel accounts and says, are you still here? And, and his disciples say, where else, where else are we going to go? I think that that's the feeling here for Mary Magdalene, that she's saying, where, where else, what do I, where do I go? And so she's hanging out the tomb. Remember, her life has been radically changed. Uh, she's given her life to following Jesus. She's being a part of, of ministering to him and financing the ministry. And 
And now with his death and resurrection, there's a sense of she's like, we're, I don't have anywhere to be. I guess I'll just wait a little bit longer. And she's weeping and crying about Jesus being gone. She thinks somebody has stolen the body. So she says, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. So this is interesting. Part of what is being told about the resurrection of Jesus, when the women go and say the body's gone, they're not, they're even there still not quite sure about what's happened. They just know that the body's not there. And there's, a, there's possibilities. Hopefully, maybe he's risen from the dead. Maybe he's not there. Maybe somebody's stolen the body. Mary seems to think that the body's been stolen. They have taken away my Lord. I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. This is also fascinating to me that in, that in his resurrected state, that he is not recognizable to Mary, who spent all that time with her. And we'll see this also on the road to Emmaus in, in, in Luke, that, that Jesus walks with these two <laughs> followers, uh, or, or follow, those who would have known about Jesus, for quite a distance before they actually figured out that it's him. Um, it reminds me that we, just, we don't have Jesus all figured out. There are times that, that we won't recognize that it's him moving or working or talking or leading or guiding. And we need to hold that uh, loosely understanding that, that he's God and we're not. And so there's times that he'll surprise us what he looks like and how he acts like and what he does. Never out of character or consistent with who he is or what he's revealed in scripture. But there are times that we're the ones that are out of place. We, ha- we have the misinformation. So here... Uh, She doesn't recognize that it's him. Jesus said to her in verse 15, Why, woman, why are you weeping? Uh, Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Uh, Just a couple things there. That question, whom do you seek, is a great question that Jesus asks people even still. Who, who Who are you seeking? What would you like? What do you want to find? Do you know what you're hoping for at the end of this rainbow? Are you looking for me is another way of asking that. Um, and so many times we're, ask, we're, we're saying, well, no, we're looking for somebody else. We're looking for something else. We're looking for another way other than him. And even here she thinks he's the gardener. And, and <laughs> you know, I can imagine Jesus being... Uh, offended that being thought that he was the gardener because he's the savior of the world. Uh, but his response is one of love. His response is, is one of understanding. And I love this. Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. So I love a few things about this, this, this interaction. One, it's the voice of God that Mary knows she didn't, she didn't see and understand that it was Jesus. It wasn't until he spoke and said, Mary, that she understood who he was. I love this because Jesus says, my sheep will know my voice. 
And so if there are times, and there's other, other places in Scripture that talk about how we, we, we oftentimes think too much about what we see and, not, and, and we need the, actually the eyesight from Jesus and not from the, our own eyes. Our, there are times that our eyes are just not going to do it. They're not going to cut it for us. And we're going to need to be able to hear the voice of God by his word and by his spirit as he leads us and guides us for what, for, what, for what our lives are to look like and what he's saying about what we're to do and what he's doing. And so th- that, I love that it's the voice of God that changes her perception and, and he rec- she recognizes him from the voice. Second, that, that, that it's him saying her name. We, we know that God knows what our name is. We know that he, he, he understands us better than we understand, our, understand ourselves. We know that, that we'll receive a new name from the Lord in heaven. There's, there's a scripture in Revelation that talks about Jesus giving us a stone with our name written on it. That is a name that only he knows. Think about that. He, he's, he knows our true name. And I love that he's calling her by name here and that she, that changes everything for her in understanding who he is. And, and so she says, teacher, remember, he's not just a teacher, but he indeed was her teacher. And, and somebody that she had followed then the rest of her life and the ministry of Christ. But Jesus said to her in 17, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. So now, now the message that she has is not only I have, uh, there's an empty tomb, but I've seen Jesus. And I think that that's a big part of what we say as as Christians, when we give our testimony, we've seen God. Now, we might not have seen God with our physical eyes. Um, I don't know anybody in this room that has. And if you, if you have, you can tell me afterwards. Uh, we may not have seen him with our physical eyes, but we have seen Jesus in the sense that, uh, like Job says, now my ears have heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. And that's what we want uh, to move from hearing about God to seeing who God is. Uh, hearing the word of God to obeying the word of God, hearing what the way, uh, about Jesus to knowing Jesus and following him with our lives. And Mary has gotten to this point where she said, I've seen the Lord, and she's testifying about this. Now, what's amazing is that from this point on, uh, she's not mentioned. So in the book of Acts, she's not mentioned by name. But it is very likely that she's there in the upper room. It's very likely that she's there as the gospel is, spread, is spreading. Uh, on the day of Pentecost when the Spirit comes and then they take the, the, the word of God out to the nations. Uh, it's very, very likely that Mary's caught up in all of that. Um, because where else would she go? And I think that one of the things that we want to acknowledge today is that Jesus as he takes us from death to life, as he turns our lives around, as he heals our illnesses, our sicknesses, our diseases, uh, we need to understand that there is not anywhere else for us to go but him. And so we fix our eyes on him, we proclaim his good news, we say, I've seen the Lord, and we give our lives to him as such. Uh, Stephanie, you had some uh, application that you wanted to share with us, which I really appreciated hearing earlier. So would you come and share some of your thoughts with us?
Thank you, Tyler. I feel like we're almost going to talk about just, I'm just going to go through again what, what, you know, what scripture says. And I spent some time reading some commentaries also that um, had some helpful insights into who Mary was and what she can teach to us. Um, So one thing that struck me is first that demonic possession can appear to be very much like mental illness, which I think throughout all of history is something that people fear and have been afraid of. And she would have been, like Tyler said, an outcast of society, perhaps even contemplating suicide to escape from this terrible fate that she thought, there's nowhere to go. I can't do anything. And so while other women who were healed of various illnesses were mentioned alongside her being possessed by seven demons was perhaps the worst of, of all the things. And so because she was delivered from much, she loved much, which reminds me of the woman from Luke 7 that Allison taught on last week. She was saved from the terrible power of hell. And in light of that, she gave her all to Jesus, the one who had secured her freedom. She devoted her life to following him. Um, and I came across a poem that I think Tyler included in the sheet by a poet from, he was an Irish poet in the early 19th century, um, and it just goes like this. Not she with traitorous kiss, her savior stung. Not she denied him with unholy tongue. She, while apostles shrank, could dangers brave, last at the cross and earliest at the grave. So we see from scripture that Mary was there at Jesus's trial, at his crucifixion, at his death. She helped prepare his body for burial and was continuing to take care of him when God allowed her a woman at that point in history to be the first to see him after his resurrection. Just what a privilege that was. When we stay close to Jesus, God may bless us in ways that we don't expect. Now, while we don't know much about Jesus, or (laughs) Jesus, Mary, past Jesus's resurrection, like Tyler just said, I imagine she continued to be a faithful witness and servant of the Lord. She had been, again, delivered from this great burden and because of that, dedicated her life to serving Jesus. One commentator wrote, Have we been cleansed of demon-like sins? Has he expelled Satan from our lives? If so, are we loving and serving him to the limit of our capacity, daily witnessing to the power of his resurrection? Are we living our lives in light of being saved from the terrible burden of sin? Or are we just going through the motions of what we're supposed to do. I really appreciated talking with Steph about this passage uh, last couple of days, uh, and thank you for sharing your, your, thought, your thoughts there. I think what, what Steph uh, wrapped up on is that uh, we, we don't want to hold back in our relationship with Jesus. We want to be people who have been set free by him and then that we want to give our lives fully to him um, to the point where we'll say, where else would we go? We want to give you some time to talk in your uh, tables. And uh, so probably we have uh, about 10 or 15 minutes here that, that you can discuss at your table some of these things. There are five questions there that are there for your uh, use to be able to discuss. Again, you don't have to stick to them, but they do help uh, to facilitate your conversation. And so uh, we want to give you that time now to discuss at your tables and enjoy the fellowship of, of his word together. Uh, so uh, at the end of that 15-minute uh, time period, we'll also pray together together. 
Um, and let me note, uh, let me note just as well that on your handout there you have the reading for next week. So we want you to re read ahead at some point this week. And uh, at that, I'll give you the time to discuss at the tables. Let me pray for us uh, first, just in closing of the teaching, and then you discuss. Lord God, we we do thank you that you uh, are glorified. Uh, through what you have said in your word, uh, Lord, we want to be uh, like Mary, where we recognize your voice. Uh, we praise you that you do turn us from death to life, uh, from darkness to light. Lord, we pray that you would allow us to give ourselves fully to you uh, in obedience and in ministry as you seek to be glorified in this world. God, we want to lift your name on high in this world, in our lives, uh, and to the ends of the earth. So we pray you'd be glorified even in this time of discussion and prayer. Pray that all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, discuss amongst yourselves.